Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Church, a place of grace. Sit back, relax, and listen in. So I wanted to do today is kind of continue talking about Elijah and talking about ourselves in relaunching um, and the life of Elijah. But today I want to talk about, if I had to put a title, the title is Little is Much. In terms of early launch, Little is Much. So I want to start off by just reading a, just little bits and pieces of a story um, about Jack Dorsey. And um, if you don't know who Jack Dorsey is, you might not know who Jack Dorsey is, but everybody, most people probably already know what Twitter is. Do I get, do I get an amen on that one? Yeah. <laughs> amen. Some of them like, yeah, some of them like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Twitter, Twitter, as we all know, just in case there's anybody here or just even at, at the sound of my voice online who doesn't know, Twitter is a fam- very famous website where you get to put up status updates. And it's really very short, simple updates that people put up. You know, people sometimes just say, I'm here at the coffee shop. Some people just say, well, you know, some people put great quotes. Some people like to put scripture up. Um, and, and different interactions can tend to take place. Actually, a lot of businesses now use um, Twitter a lot because they use it as a way of advertising. So a quick way to advertise and get people's attention. So Twitter has become something that's very famous, millions of users throughout the world <laughs> and it's and it's just and it's just using everywhere i just tweeted this morning actually <laughs> my scripture verses so many on so so you know it's very 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 familiar familiar company but i want to share just some a little bit of a story um and it, it actually was a blog written by somebody else and it's actually somebody else talking about talking about the one who started the Twitter company, and he calls it the non-overnight success, how Twitter became Twitter. So I'm not going to read the whole article, but I think there's just certain points I would like to, just like to share with you. And it says this, um, consider how Twitter came about. It didn't happen overnight. Jack Dorsey had been, in his words, obsessed by how people moved, interacted, and communicated since the early 1990s. So this was a comic way, comic, this was a, a, an idea way back in the 90s. So he learned basic computer programming, created maps with dots on them, and used information from Manhattan dispatch systems to track the movement of bike messengers, taxis, police firefighters, and couriers. It was a start. So this is how he got his start. Dorsey then transferred to New York University and got a job as a programmer with the largest dispatch company in the world. He learned a lot in the role and eventually focused on the short format messages that people sent to large dispatch boards. This became the basis for all my work going for- forward, he recalled. Then after moving to San Francisco in 2000, Dorsey continued to tinker with short messaging ideas. He started a company that dispatched emergency and taxi services from the web, but soon realized how, he, he, how much he knew about s- startups. Eventually, the company unfortunately failed. But from it, he learned. 
Dorsey continued to use instant messaging and live journal, which is like early blogging, to post updates on what he was doing. Simple things like, I'm on the phone, or I'm listening to black IPs, or different messages like that. Once again, small steps. Then one night, Dorsey couldn't sleep, and he sketched out an idea on a, on a whiteboard. The idea was to exchange short status updates, emails with friends using what's called a BIM 850, which was a, which was a predecessor to BlackBerry. And you know, the device had four lines of text, good for short formatting messages. But of course, fortunately, it didn't quite work because nobody had a BIM 850. <laughs> so it didn't become that popular. Then one night in 2006, Dorsey's co colleague sent him the first text message he ever received. It says, I had no idea what this thing was, he remembered. But as Dorsey and his colleagues talked more about text messaging, he realized short message format could be the missing link. Then finally, Williams, gave Williams, where he worked at, gave him two weeks and another programmer to develop his ideas. Then eventually, Twitter... Twitter became its own company in 2007. And here we are today, just about everybody I know at least knows what Twitter is or uses Twitter. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> so what's, what's the point here? Little is much. Little is much. Oftentimes, we see our lives, what we have, our ideas, Sometimes what we, what we have in terms of our jobs or what we have in terms of our families or what we have in terms of our ideas, we see it as small, insignificant, not really going too much anywhere. Even if God is, even if it's something that might be God-inspired or just feel like God is leading us or God, God, God is inspiring us, sometimes we get to a place where we feel like either we're not accomplishing it or we become a failure, or it's something we just cannot handle or cannot do. And here you had Jack Dorsey, who, who had an idea, very short, very simple, but he did not always succeed in his idea. But how many of us know that, know that even though he did not succeed, he still kept on trying. He still kept on finding ways, and eventually we are where we are today, where every, just about everybody we know got Twitter. So he did not give up. And oftentimes when we see, when we look at our lives and we see what we have, we look at it as it's little and small. But however, as we look at Elijah and, and we today, we're going to find little as much when it comes to God. Can I get an amen on that one? So let's get into it. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And it reads as such, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. 
Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were filled, she said to to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Let me just take a moment to pray. Our Father, I just thank you for this, your word which is sharper than any two-edged sword, which is pierced and divided between soul and spirit, that shows the very intents of the hearts of man. Lord God, I pray that your word will, will just test us, will just clean us, will just purge us, will just sanctify us, will strengthen us, will encourage us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you just give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech, Lord God, and that you, Lord God, would just speak to your people, Lord God. Build us up, teach us, lead us, guide us, direct us, take us to where you want to take us, Lord God. We follow after you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, again, let me just give a little background, um, as I always like to do. So we have here Elijah. Elijah was, of course, um, was of course the, Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. So we have, we have Elisha that's now in the scene. And again, like I said in, in, in last week, a lot of things that you see Elijah doing, not everything, there's th- things that he did just himself, but you see a lot of correlation. So you see Elijah doing something that's happening here. You see that happening with Elijah as well in First Kings chapter 17, verse 8 through 16, um, helping out a widow um, who's starving, who's, who's, who's in a, um, in a, in, with Elijah, it was a woman who was do- during the famine. And this one, it was, this is a woman who's in debt. So you see that kind of correlation happening where God is again affirming Elisha um, to Israel and letting, letting Israel know, I'm not done. I'm not done with Baal. I'm not done with you. My work is still, I'm still establishing my work in you. So God is still speaking to Israel. Now we have here in the story, it says a wife and a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah. Um, some of the, some of the um, scholars believe that this might have been Obadiah, which if you look at him in, um, in First Kings, that was, that was the man that was hiding the prophets um, who was working for the king. So some people believe that that might have been his wife. Um, but regardless, we know that he was a prophet, and we knew he was, he was married, and, and, he, and he died. And so and we knew that he was an honorable man. We knew that he was a faithful man because she was able to come to the company of prophets, and she was able to say, listen, you know my husband. You know who he was. You know, he was faithful. But now we're in a place where we need some help. And so that, that's kind of where we, where we had. And so now she's in trouble because she's in debt. The family's in debt. And at, the, and at this point, because of the debt, she's afraid they're going to take her children and make them slaves, make them like indentured servants, and they would have to work um, to pay off the, the debt, which is, seems crazy to us, but at this time that was actually quite common to do if, if, if the family was in debt then then the children or somebody in the family would go in and pay off the debt by becoming servants and they would have to either work until they paid off the debt or work until the year of jubilee where they would be able to be released of all debt so this was this was not 
This is not a crazy thing. It might seem weird to us, but it's not crazy back then. So this is a serious situation. A woman's in debt. Her family's in debt. She's about to lose her children. She already lost her husband. And she's worried, concerned, I need help. So she goes to the man of God and says, man of God, how can you help me? So then Elijah asks an important question. And it starts in verse 2. He says, Elijah replied, it says, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? So he, he asks her, tell me, what do you have in your house? And her response is, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. And that's a major question that he, he asks. He asks, what do we have in your house? And her response is, I have nothing at all, just this jar of olive oil. And I look at that and I think, that's us right there. Sometimes we look at ourselves and in our lives, we can easily sit there and say, well, what do I have? God, can, God is sitting there calling, calling us and he'll sit there and he'll call us and ask us, what do we have? And we can look at ourselves and say, well, I don't have much. Actually, she called off and she said, I don't have nothing at all. I don't, first she says, I don't have nothing. And I can wait we kind of can see ourselves. That's the way I've seen myself at times. I, I, don't got no, I don't got much. I don't got nothing. You know, I, me, myself, I was born, I was, I was born to a, a, I'm, I'm Hispanic, I was born to a mother who was on welfare. And we were on welfare for the majority of our lives. So, I, you know, and then I was, when I was born, I was born with, with a slight learning dis- disability. So I was in special, I was in special education until about the fifth or sixth grade. And so for me, I always kind of seen myself as, well, I don't, I don't got much to do. <laughs> what do I what do I have in my house? I don't have much. I work for you don't get much, let me tell you. <laughs> it's not much. <laughs> it's not much. You don't get much. And and you know, and being in, living in the Bronx it just wasn't much. So I didn't see myself as much. But I think sometimes even when we look at even our church and we think about our church, sometimes we think we're a small church. So sometimes we can think because we're a small church, we don't got much. Oh, there's nothing much that we can do. Oh, it's just going to always be this way. So as a result, we can look at our church sometimes and say, we got nothing at all. Oh, we got nothing but we except for this. Oh, this is all we have. Oh, this is insignificant. And I believe that this is, this is the mindset that God is challenging today. As we are being called to relaunch, as we're being called to relaunch as a church, as we're being called to relaunch even individually within ourselves, he calls us, but he calls us right now with who we are, with what we are, with what we have. Now, in our eyes, it can be that it just doesn't seem like much. God might be calling you to run a company, but right now you're the janitor. God can be calling you to lead this organization, but right now you're just pushing papers. God can be calling you to be a minister of the gospel, but right now you're just having trouble just reading scripture. But God calls us right where we're at. And he knows 
the situation. He knows the problem. Eli, God knew what going on with the woman and the dead. God knew what she had. She, fortunately, she didn't realize what she had. That was part of the problem. So God needed to use Elijah to let her know that although you, all you have is a jar with a little bit of oil, you actually have more than enough to do what, what God needs to do to get you out of debt. Even though we may seem small, even though we may seem magnificent, insignificant, even though we may seem like we, can't do, do, we cannot do much, that is not the truth. God can do so much more. Can I get an amen? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The truth of the matter is you may seem insignificant. You may seem small. You may seem like you don't have much. You may seem like the past has, has wrecked you up so there's no hope for the future. But God says he likes to choose the foolish things of the world to confuse the wise. He likes to choose the weak things of the world to confuse the strong. The idea is God can take whatever he wants and make it glorious. As the song simply says, he has taken me from the guttermost to the uttermost. God can take you from anywhere you're at and can turn the situation around. Although I was in special ed, although I was in special ed, by the time I was able to um, get out of junior high school, I was in one of the tops of my class. And I'm over here now getting my, I'm the only person in my family going for a master's. Literally. That's God. Makes no sense to me, but that's God. <laughs> Makes no sense. I'm, I'm, I'm actually the, one, the only person in my immediate family that has actually graduated from college and actually has a degree. God, only God. But he can take what, what looks confusing and can turn it around. What looks like a mess, what looks like it's down and out, that's the God we serve. So we, when we see ourselves in your life, you might, not, you might see a mess. You might see trouble. You might see confusion. You might seem like it's nothing much. But it's time for us to see what God sees. It's time for us to hear. That's why we still have to be at the place where we hear what God hears. And we stay remaining to hear what God hears. Because when we step out of that, we begin to hear ourselves. And that's all she saw. All she saw was her circumstances. All the woman saw was the situation. And she only, all she saw was that she, all she had was a jar of oil, and she didn't realize that what she really had was the answer all along. She really had the answer all along. And that's why, that's why I love, you know, one thing, as, as, as I sat there and I thought about this, I thought about our community care celebration. I know a lot of you were here. We had an opportunity as a church to go. It was probably like maybe 12 or 15 of us, opportunity to reach out the community to do back to get backpacks and to and to give out food. Now here it is a church about fifteen, about twelve, maybe fifteen people at the time. And we were able to get over two hundred backpacks and be able to get so much food to be able to feed so many people. A small church. And we were there and we were able to serve so many people. It's only twelve or fifteen of us. To 200, you do the math. That's kind of big. 
<laughs> I'm not a mathematician, but that's big. That's big. Now, how much more can we do? Do we think, do we think it's just that? Or do we, can we think that there's even more? Can we think that it can go on? Can we think that God has so much more, so much that we can do in store? I mean, I praise God for community care, but there's so much more that's in store than what community care did. Amen. Can I get an amen? Matthew Henry says it like this. Matthew Henry was a com- famous commentary and pastor as well. He says, the way to increase what we have is to use it. To him that so hath shall be given. It is not hoarding the talents, but trading with them that doubles up. Let me say it one more time. The way to increase what we have is to use it. To him that so hath shall be given. It is not hoarding the talents, but trading with them that doubles up. See, if we're going to get to relaunch and where we want to see God do some great things in us, that it's going to take us not just sitting here. It's going to take us not just coming here to church and we just enjoy our fellowship and we just enjoy each other's presence. It's going to take us stepping out. Let's read verse 3. Elisha says to her, Now go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. They go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one, one side. So we have the idea of this oil. Uh, what I love about oil is, in Scripture, oil is used for a lot of things here. Oil is, first of all, used for cooking, and all of you our cooks know what I'm talking about, because you still use the oil for cooking. And we use it, back then it was also used for medicine. That's why you have in, in the scripture you talk about have the elders pray over the church and anoint because it was used as part of medicine as well for healing. And then it was also used for perfume. People would put it into perfume. And then so it was also very considered something that was very valuable. You could sell it for money. People would buy it. It was valuable. And it was also used in religious ceremonies. It was used for consecration. It was used to anoint the priest. It was used it was used to consecrate the temple and to consecrate all the items within the temple. And the oil represents the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that is at work within our lives. That's the oil that is represented. So the command from Elijah goes out. He says, now, go and get empty jars. And he says, don't just get a few, don't just get a few but go and get jars and then pour the oil into the jar. So if we're going to be called to relaunch, if we want to relaunch in our lives and we want to relaunch in our church, we need to go get some empty jars. Like I said, I enjoy our fellowship here. I enjoy each other. And and it's all good. But But when it comes to a point when you stay in here and you're just not an empty jar anymore, it makes no sense for you to be. If you're still an empty jar, there's something wrong. We need to have a discussion after service. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, we're not empty. Now, sometimes we might get tired and we become empty, but that's why the fellowship is here. You can get refilled. Can I get an amen? But it's not just for us to be jars that are filled, to be continue to fill again and can fill again. The idea is we need to go get some empty jars. When there are some people out there that are lost, there are people out there that are dying, there are people out there that we know, our neighbors, our friends, our family, loved ones, there are people 
in this region that are empty jars. And if we want God to to take us to that next place, if we want God to do some great thing in us, if we want to see some revival and see some great things happening, then we got to go and pour into an empty jar. We have to, as a church, if we are going to relaunch, we have to go out. And as individually, if you're going to relaunch, you need to step out. Come out your comfort zone. Come out what you do and step out and reach out to those who are around you. Reach out to those in your neighborhood. Reach out to those in this region. If we're going to relaunch, we have to pour. If we want to receive, if we want to see God do the great thing, if we, as we just sang earlier, said that these are the days of Elijah and these are the days of Ezekiel, and behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet's call, and all that great stuff. If we're going to do all, if we're going to see all that, we have to pour. We have to pour. We have to pour into the empty jars. But, but, but the promise is as we pour, he fills. As we pour, he fills. God is giving us these opportunities that we have. We have city serve. That's an opportunity for some empty jars in this region. We have even a picnic. It's an opportunity to invite someone so that they can receive. We have the relaunch coming in in October. That's an opportunity where we can affect this region. And individually, we have opportunities every day. We have our jobs. We have our neighborhoods. We have friends and families. We have opportunities to pour oil and to pour oil on them. And it says in verse 5, this is what happens. She says, she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left, then the oil stopped flowing. So I can just imagine the scene as she says, okay, I'm about to trip. As she says, okay, let me get, here, huh, son, give me this oil here, let me get one, I'm just going to pour, and come on, give me another one, I'm going to pour, come on, give me another one, I'm going to pour, and I, like, give me the next one, and he's, let's see, you know, he's like, I don't got it. And she's like, can you, can you imagine, it just, you understand, you understand, she went from having a little oil Shouldn't even filled up one till it just keeps going, 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 going. I'm just, I'm just pouring. Okay, it's not stopping. Okay, it's not going, going till she finally ran out. Then it stopped. That's what God is calling us to do, to pour. Go out and pour. Go out and give. Go out and give because as you give, it comes back. As you give, it comes back. As you give, more oil comes. And as you give, more oil comes. And as you give, more oil comes. And as you give, and it goes to the next one. More oil is coming. More oil is coming. There was a problem. She kept on giving, kept on giving, kept on giving, but then it stopped. You know why it stopped? There was no more jars. The only limit she had was her, was her getting the jar. That's why Elijah told her, don't just get a few. Get as many as you can get. And that's what sometimes limits us. Sometimes we can just be like, oh, I can, I can only do this, and uh, I can only do that. Well, if that's all you can do, that's all the all you're going to get. But if you challenge yourself to go out 
and just go out. And I know, I think I could do this, but let me try to go over here. Uh, okay, here's the oil. Well, let me go a little further. Well, here's the oil. Well, let me go a little further. Come on, a little further and a little further. God would keep on falling. The only limit we have is ourselves. It's not God. It's ourselves. It's our issues. Imagine what she would have had if she would have just thought bigger. Because this is what happens at the end. She says she goes and she went to the, told the man of God, he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So now with all that she was able to get, she not only had enough to clear her entire debt so that she didn't have to worry about her sons, she had enough to live on after that. How much can God do in and through you? I think there's times when God really speaks to us and he gives us ideas and he gives us vision and he gives us purpose and he gives us clarity. And But we get scared and stuck or we can only go but so far or we think, oh, I can only. And then it's like, and then, it's, then we get frustrated and mad at ourselves and, and trying to say, Lord, why are we here? Why are we? I said, because you didn't, you stopped. It's not because of God, it's because of you. You stopped. You shut your mouth. You did not share anymore. You just decided to care about yourself and just stick with you. So that's all you're going to get. It isn't until you stop pouring into the empty jars once again that you're going to see the power of God come forth. That you're going to see him do above. It's when you just take that step of whatever he's calling you to do. It's when you do it. That's when you see things happening. It's not, it's not when you kind of, you get the plan and it all just makes sense to you and you have A, B, C, D. I know some of us like to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, and so on. But it's just not going to always, sometimes he's just going to tell you, go and just trust me every step of the way. And as you go, I get more. As you go, I get more. As you go, I get more. Here comes G, here comes H, here comes I, here comes J, here comes K. Here it comes, here it comes. Just go, just go, just go. We need to go and pour into our empty jars. And it's when we go and pour into jars that we receive the more. That we receive what God has for us. There's so much for our lives. And there's so much for our church. I believe it. I do. I believe it. There are lives in this region that we can impact. There are people in where we're at, where we live. Even, even, even if you don't live in Bergen County, wherever you live, there are there are people and lives that we can reach out and touch. We have this nation that God has called us to. This nation of the United States that God has called. We have a whole lot of work to do. There are lives at stake. There's a whole lot of empty jars. And if there's a whole lot of empty jars, empty jars, that means there's a whole lot of oil. There is a whole lot of oil for us to receive. But we just gotta go. We just got to go. So she went and told the man of God, go sell the oil. You and your sons can live off of the work, off of the rest. So I just want to share this with you as we get ready to close. Short message, simple to the point. I like those. <laughs> Again, if we are going to relaunch as a church, if we are going to relaunch in our lives, we need to get over our small mentality. 
As a church, I know we look small, but that does not mean we're small. I mean, so, so let me tell you something. One, I had a pastor come here from a church in New York, and she looked at me and she says, and she says, you know, your church congregation is small. I was like, yeah. She says, how do you? Well, then. Oh, so, so she says, so then she says, oh, so your pastor must have another job. I said, no, my pastor doesn't have another job. He does this full time. She, she looked at me and she goes, he does this full time? She's like, yeah. It's like, how does that happen? That makes no sense. I said, because, just because we look small doesn't mean we're small. I mean, now we have a magician and a pastor. And just because we look small doesn't mean we're small. Looks can really be deceiving. God can do so much, even with so little. God can do so much. So God is calling us to pour our oil. And that's all it takes. It takes us pouring our oil. God is calling us to pour our oil into the empty jars. Because when we pour, we receive. When we pour, we receive. And what we receive from God, we must give. Because when we give, we then receive. And we receive even more. So the woman was not able to pay her debt, but had more than enough for her and her sons to live on. So I mean, just imagine right now what our lives would look like if we got over our small mentality. What this church will look like if we got over our small mentality. What God would, what we could see happening all around us if we just got over our small mentality. In conclusion, I just want to read this little, this is a song. I just want to read the lyrics to you. I don't know how to sing it, so don't ask me to. But (laughs) but I just want to read this little, the song, which literally is titled, Little is Much. It says this, What is the measure of a life well lived if all I can offer seems too small to give? This is a song for the weaker, the poor, and so-called failures. Little is much when God's in it. No one can fathom the plans he holds. Little is much when God's in it. He changes the world with the seeds we sow. Little is much, little is much. Who feels tired and underqualified? Who feels deserted and hung out to dry? There is a song for the broken, the beat up and so-called losers. Consider a kingdom in the smallest seed. Consider that giants fall to stones and slings. Consider a child in a manger. Consider the story isn't over. What can be done with what you still have? Little is much when God's in it. No one can fathom the plan he holds. Little is much when God's in it. He changes the world with the seeds we sow. Little is much. Little is much. So my challenge to you is get over your small mentality. Because little is much when God's in it. And if you believe that, stand with me. Father, we just thank you right now. Lord, as we just come before you. With what we have, as you asked, as Elijah asked that woman, what do you have in your house? 
Lord, we even now bring what we have. Who we are. What you've called us to do. What you put in our hearts. Even though we might have at times seen it as insignificant or it's just not enough or I just can't do it or we made excuses or whatever the case may be. We realize that little is much when God is in it. And you're calling us, God. You're calling us to pour our oil, to pour all that you've given to us, your power, your love, your anointing, your grace, to pour it all into empty jars. There are souls out there. There are empty jars out there, Lord God, waiting for us, Lord God. Waiting for us to just go and to pour, to just reach, to just share, to just, Lord God, do what you have called us to do. So help us to get over it, Lord God. Help us to get over that mentality, Lord God, for you to open our eyes to just see, Lord God that you are still pouring the oil as we go into the next empty jar and then the next empty jar to the next empty jar to the next empty jar, Lord God. Nothing is impossible for you, Lord God. Forgive us for holding back. Forgive us for being scared. Forgive us getting stuck in that mentality, Lord God. But we know and believe that you are calling us to relaunch. You are calling us to go forth. You are calling us to pour the oil. You are calling us, Lord God, to relaunch in a new way this year, Lord God. So we just say yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to your promises. Yes, Lord God, we will pour the oil. In the name of Jesus, we believe you to do above and beyond what we could even ask or think according to your power that is at work within us to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask of you. To you be the glory, the honor, and the power, and the praise. In Jesus' name.